September 12th um, was an unusual day in the sense that Rachel didn't always go to school on Fridays. Uh, but because it was the Friday before final, she wanted to go and do some extra work. And so she asked me to pick her up at 426. And uh, I got to the train station at 4.30, and uh, the train hadn't arrived yet, so I was really kind of surprised because Metro looks pretty good at the amount of time. And um, so I was just waiting as with all the other people that were waiting for whoever they were going to pick up. And all of a sudden, some woman stands up out of her car and says, there's been an accident, turn on your radio. I knew she was on that train. The next few hours were quite horrendous because we had no real information. Uh, and my heart just sank. And, uh, and then that's when we found out to go to Chatsworth, Chatsworth High School. School. So we drove all the way back to back Chatsworth. To Chatsworth. Uh, um, and we found uh, a friend of ours, but uh, we found Clyde people. Yes. Interestingly enough, um, all surrounded us. She has so many friends, friends. and um, from from church and um, that whole. We prayed a lot, and then there, there were people from other churches who just came to give us support and you know, people on their knees. And everybody was praying so, so hard. Going on. And after that, I had this this peace that just came over me that even though. She might be really injured badly, it was going to be okay. And, and I reflected back on what she had read the week before um, about placing all your anxiety on, on God. And she, she read that to prepare us. And um, here we are. Amazing. Three months later, and she's in rehab, and she's talking, and she's walking, and she's growing every day and the doctor told us just today how, how pleased he is with her progress that she's doing so well. And we know where it belongs. All glory is to God. It's all Him. Mm -hmm. I told uh, Pat Joanne how, and your sister, I said, I don't normally say this, but I have a tremendous peace. I, I mean, it was really scary there for a while, but I knew, and I said, I believe she's going to be healed, and I believe that God's going to use her, and she's going to testify of His goodness one day. And I don't know that I've ever said that to someone in critical about someone in critical. It's just something that I can't describe. Like this overwhelming peace from God, and so so good to hear you guys talk about it because I knew. been most encouraging to you and, and my, my friends from church why have your friends from church been so encouraging to you oh, they prayed for me yeah she's uh she's doing well 
I know a lot of you guys have been praying for her. If you remember, she's exchanged him from Zambia that was in the train accident. And um, it was one of those weird things where some of the people that visited her came back from the hospital, like when it first happened, and they said, you know what, I think she's already dead. Just by the look on her face, by just the swelling in her head, they just go, she's, she's gone. In fact, they had to cut part of her brain off in order for, because the swelling was so bad. And, and I... And I don't know how to explain it, but because it's never, this is only a second time in my life it's happened where something happened like that, and inside I knew she was going to be okay. And you guys know I'm not one of these guys that says God's going to heal every time, and it, it just was one of those times where I go, I don't know how to explain it, and I very cautiously even told her sister and told you guys, like, I think she's going to be fine from what I sense from the Lord and yet I can't explain it. I don't want to be so arrogant as to say, no, I hear his voice and I know it. But somehow it was just there that God was going to use her to testify. And But I also wanted to show that because so many of you have been visiting her and others in the hospital. And, and that's been so encouraging. I mean, her, she wanted just to thank all of Cornerstone for their prayers, but especially her friends that have been faithful in the last couple months, because I've only been there twice. I just go there when the camera's on. And, uh, no, I'm kidding. But I, I, you know, but, but the others that have just faithfully gone and caring for her and going and playing music for her, her best music, you know, and, and just the encouragement she got even when she was in a coma and everything else. And I, I, I just have to say, I, I've never had a more encouraging Christmas time than this year because of the reports of what I'm hearing about the church and all of you going to these different places to minister to people, to care for people. I'm hearing about people walking around their neighborhoods, knocking on doors, either giving gifts away or even putting on children's programs for all the kids in the neighborhood, all on your own. No one told you to do it. You just thought, no, this is what I want to do this year. This is how I want to give. We went to the rescue mission uh, in San Fernando Valley, and we went the week before just to get names of little kids and find out what they wanted. And, and when we went there, there were several cornerstone families there that go every Wednesday. I didn't know that, that you go every Wednesday night and cook for these people and you, you, your families get together and you cook a meal and you bring them down for the homeless people and that was so cool and then then we get there on christmas day and we find out that on christmas eve there was already a group of cornerstone people that did their own you know little christmas thing and brought gifts to them and and so then uh, then all the people that found out that we were going started giving us stuff and we're like gosh we got too much and and people were like well where else can we go and i'm like well there's other missions you know and people went to like the battered women's shelter and and, and handed out gifts there i found out about the un- the rescue mission in ventura and how they were short like a couple hundred gifts and so some of you got together and came up with four thousand dollars of walmart cards you know and they went and shopped and got all this stuff for them I-, I heard of another family in moore park that just no one even knew them they just heard from a person from a person and so the moore park community got together and just took a couple donations and got like a thousand dollars worth of food and gifts and everything else and went out to those people. It just seems like everywhere I go, I'm hearing about the cornerstone things that are going on. In fact, even last night, last night, I just took my daughter to big five to try to find grip tape for her skateboard. And, uh, I run into a cornerstone guy there with like six sleeping bags. I'm like, you going camping? No, I just, I heard about people in the Antelope Valley and they're, they're getting frostbite. Some of the homeless and the church, you know, needed some sleeping bags. And so I'm going to, it just seems like everywhere I go, 
someone from Cornerstone is doing something, like doing something, not attending service, but doing something. And it was so cool to hear about the different things in the different neighborhoods. And I'm still just hearing stories and no one's telling me, no one's saying, Hey, guess what I did? You know, it's just word of mouth. Or I just happen to run into people in different places. And you go, you gotta be kidding me. All this stuff is going on in all these different places. And I love it because, okay, about 10 years, maybe 12 years ago, I'm a new pastor just starting things. I'm listening to this pastor from this big mega church talk about their Christmas program, right? And he talks about how, oh, this is just an extravaganza we do. And he talked about, like, if I recall right, about $150,000 to put on our Christmas program. And, And But he goes, that's not it. It's all the volunteers. And they come like 20 hours a week. People come right from work. They come here. They rehearse. We do this big play and everything else and this production and people have come and 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 given their lives to the lord and i go man that's great that's great and i ask the question after i go but i I gotta just ask something respectfully i go i'm new at this and i don't really know everything but they spent so much time on this and so much money on this i go wouldn't it have been more effective if they had spent that time just talking to their neighbors you know, and just inviting them over to dinner and getting to know them and sharing the gospel with them. Wouldn't that have been better? And he says, hypothetically, yes. He goes, absolutely, that would be better. He goes, but people aren't willing to do that. And I just remember just leaving that day going, yeah, that's right. People would never do that. They would never just talk to their neighbor and invite them over and everything else. But that was the mindset. You're not going to get people to do that in America and yet, to see what's going on in this church, is just, it's just so cool. The steps of faith that some of you guys took this Christmas season. In fact, people are, just last service, just last service, I had this line of people that just wanted to talk to me. And that we're just visiting our church from different places because they heard about what's been going on here. And, and I just, right afterwards, I, I just wrote down, like, who I just spoke to last service. Because I thought, that was weird. First couple they came from atlanta another one from toledo ohio another from northern california and palo alto one from mississippi a couple from new york a couple from chicago a couple from las vegas a couple from minnesota just going yeah god might be calling me here i don't know why i, I just I've, I've been listening to the podcast listening to what's going on here and just hearing about what's going on in the church and what the people are doing and it's just uh, the reputation I, I i wrote the email a few weeks ago about the public hearing i don't know if you all got it but but here's the cool thing i didn't even write it all because as we were going on the public hearing for the tierra Hotter pro- property i i shared a little bit but then afterwards this guy got up and shared who was very angry uh, about the project because he lives out there and uh, just said all sorts of things about the church just kind of publicly addressed me and questioned my integrity and this was weird i'm like wow okay uh, i just sat there silently didn't know what to say what to do and then once he was done one of the supervisors spoke up and said i just want to go on the record and publicly disagree with that man he goes, I got to tell you what I've seen in the people of Cornerstone. This is a guy from Ventura who's against the project, by the way, who says, I just want to go on record and say this has nothing to do with the integrity. He goes, Francis, you talked about trying to build a reputation, you know, for Cornerstone to build a reputation. And you need to know that you don't need to work at that anymore. The reputation's been built. 
He goes, I know about what the people of Cornerstone has done. People in Ventura know about what the church in Simi Valley does. In fact, he came up to me afterwards and he goes, you know, I've been trying to place foster kids in this area forever. He goes, you know how hard it is to get a church to even listen to me? And and then he goes, then do you know how many people at Cornerstone actually take in foster kids and actually care for them? He goes, let me tell you, I love your church. We need your church. And I, I told him, I go, you know what? You have no idea how much this makes my day. And then, and then, you know, the guy that was really angry, I went up to him afterwards, and uh, and, we, and I took him to breakfast a couple of days later, and uh, and and because uh, that's what you do, and and and, and he paid, and uh, and. Uh, but it was so cool because I, I just was like, man, I don't get it. You know, I just want you to tell me what is it that you see that's wrong and, and everything else because you're questioning my integrity and whatever else. And, and ended up having a great, great conversation with this guy, really cool guy. But one of the things he, he one of the comments he made was he was at the previous hearing, which a lot of you were at, and he spoke up there and he says, I got to say, I was surprised. He goes, I was surprised that after I spoke up against your project, how many people from your church greeted me lovingly, were friendly toward me, and even invited me to your church? And I said, right on. Again, you have no idea how much that means to me. That's the stuff that matters. And so I just want to say, man, it's just, it's so cool seeing how God is leading you each individually. You, you don't, need someone up front telling you do this 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 that it's just god's leading you he's directing you and it's making a difference it's having an impact everywhere you go you're seeing the fruits and the ripple effects and people's lives being changed and and it's so fitting with with the passage that i'm talking about today because in philippians 2 remember we're, we're studying through philippians and remember paul is in prison when he's writing this letter And it's interesting because he writes this letter to this church that loved him, that he had relationship with. And he's saying, you know what? When I was with you guys, you were doing all of these wonderful things. He goes, but now that I'm in prison, I hope that you're even more motivated. That you on your own, that you're hearing from the Lord, you're working out your own salvation. And that God's leading you because he's saying, I'm gone. But you've got the Holy Spirit. You can be led by God. You can be doing great things in the name of God. And so he just encourages them in that. And, and as, I, as I teach this, um, I've been praying about today because I feel like today, specifically this Sunday, this weekend, I believe it's a pivotal weekend. Because this is it for, for 08. And this is the time. I was just thinking about the seriousness of this day because for a lot of us, we like new starts, right? I I love to start over. I love screwing something up and then go, okay, but I could start over now, you know, and going, okay, at this point forward, I'm not going to mess it up this time. I love starting over and and I've been praying because I'm thinking, you know what? This is the week where some of you will make some decisions that will actually stick this is the week where you, re- you evaluate 2008 and go, man, I thought I was going to do this and this and this. And now suddenly a year's passed already. 
And I never got to it. I never got there. And we do this again and again in our relationship with God. But every once in a while, there are people who say, you know what? That's it. That's it. I'm not going to have another year like this. This is the end of it. I refuse. I refuse to do that over again. And maybe others of you, your, your, your walk with the Lord has been really good. And you're going, man, are you kidding me? From, from 07 to 08, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. Right on. Keep on in that journey. But there's others of you that you know, you know what? This is it. It's, it's time for the change. It's time for the next step. It's time for something different to break out. And so I've been praying for you. And, and this week has been so good for me because I, it's one of the most restful weeks I've had all year. And it's actually given me some time to think and think about life and think about direction. And this passage, I tell you, has had such an impact on me. These next, I, I had a whole sermon, you know, put together, you know, for about 15 verses or so. And last service, we got into the first two verses and we got so into it. It was like, you know what, let's just, let's just stick with these two verses and call it a day because it is so heavy. It is so deep. It is so wonderful what God says, what Paul says here in Philippians 2. Verse 12, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, remember a few things. Remember, remember what Paul has just spoken about. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks, so you should remember it. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, right before this, is what we talked about at the Christmas service last week, about God, Jesus, not holding on to this Godhood, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but how he emptied himself and he made himself nothing. He took a form of a servant. He came down on the earth. That's, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, but not only only did he make himself nothing he took this form of a servant where he's washing the disciples feet eventually he submits himself to death even death on a cross where he's tortured for your sake dying for your sin and then in verse 9 it says therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father And so we just look at that. And then so Paul says, therefore, in light of that, in light of what Jesus did, he goes, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying Jesus was the example for us, like I talked about on Christmas, because he modeled that type of humble obedience. Remember Jesus in the garden? Remember Jesus, before he was going to be crucified, he's praying to the Father and he's so intense that blood is literally coming out from, from his skin just from the intensity of his prayer going, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Is there any other way? But, but not my will, but yours be done. Here he clearly, in, 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 it's hard to explain like, okay, how... There was a sense of Jesus wasn't going, okay, good, I get to go to the cross today. Absolutely, there was a sense in which, you know, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. But there was also other side of, I don't want to go through this. Is there any other way, Father? But then ultimately goes, no, but not my will. You've got a bigger plan. 
your, your will is more important than mine. What, what do you want me to do? If there's any other way, take this cup from me, but I'm not shying away from what you're calling me to do. And now Paul's saying, you know what? Jesus did that, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's got the name above every name. He's going to come back one day, and everyone's going to bow to him. He goes, in light of that, therefore, we need to obey. Even through those difficult situations, we got to obey. Paul says, not because I'm here as your pastor leading you, telling you to obey. He goes, I'm in prison and I'm telling you, you need to obey even more so now. But he, he says an interesting thing. He says, work out. He goes, he goes, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What, what does he mean here? Work out your own salvation. Have you ever noticed that phrase? Work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. Make sure you understand it does not say work for your own salvation. That's not the words he uses here. He says work out your salvation. Here's a problem. I don't know when it started in church history, but at some point in time, someone taught that salvation was about a one-time act where you pray a prayer, ask Jesus into your life, and then you just, when you die, you go to heaven. And that's salvation. And that's it. And for so many believers across our country, that's all they know about salvation. But I got to ask you something. Would you ever come to that conclusion by reading the Bible? Would you read the Bible cover to cover and go, I got it. I'm supposed to pray a prayer and then I go to heaven when I die. There's no way. There's no way. Now, I agree. Salvation does come at a point in time. There is a moment when your eyes are opened. There's a moment when your eyes are open and you recognize there is a point in time when you recognize, wow, I've really sinned against this God. I, I really do deserve his punishment. And, and I, I understand now that he had his son punished for me. And there is that moment in time when your eyes are open. You go, okay, so I want to follow this God. I want him in my life. There is that moment when you actually are saved, but salvation. But then the rest of your life is you working out this salvation. See, there is a moment in time when your eyes are open to what Christ did. But what the Bible teaches is that God keeps your eyes open to what Christ does in your life now. And, and it's true that there, there was a moment in time when you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, but then the rest of your life is about you actually following Jesus Christ. There was no such thing in the Bible about these people who would make a decision to follow Jesus and then their lives were no different. When you decided to follow Jesus, you acted out upon that decision. This, this commitment, this, this time or this point of decision really wasn't the big deal. The big deal was, wow, it really, it really happened. I could make a decision this year to work out. 
I can make a decision. Say, I've decided to work out every morning in 2009. Yeah, at the moment in time, I made that decision. But all of 2009, I'll show if I was serious about that or not. I mean, when you read the scriptures, don't you see that there have always been, since the beginning of time, people who followed God and people who did not. That's what it's about. It's about, at a moment in time, having your eyes open to what Jesus did for you on the cross and asking that Holy Spirit to come into you. And then when He comes into you, He empowers you to live out, to work out your salvation. It's this outworking of it. It's this, that the word work out is a word that they would use um, like when they would mine. You know, the, in mining, it's this idea of let's, let's mine this, whatever you call it, mountain or I've never mined. Um, but, but you, you know, it's this whole idea of to, to work it out means you get every single jewel out of this place. Let's work this thing. Let's work this thing and get everything we can out of it. In the same way, that's the same phrase that's used here. Now you work out your salvation. You're not saved just so that you, you are forgiven and you go to heaven. You're saved. You're saved daily. It's a sense in which God saves me today from the ways of the world. He saves me today from my own selfishness. And I want him to work this out. Show me everything there is in being your child. Show me everything, I, all the benefits of being your child, all the power that's available to me, all the self-control that's available to me, all the peace that's available to me, all the joy. I want to mind this thing. I want to work this out. I want to keep growing, growing, growing in this salvation. It's this idea of salvation is not about just this one-time act. That's a starting point. And the rest of your life is about working out this salvation. And showing that, you know what, that decision you made wasn't just this, oh yeah, I raised my hand at this place. Yeah, I prayed this prayer. No, it's, I made a decision and I followed through with it. The Holy Spirit really did come into me and I'm a different person now. And in fact, I'm a different person than I was in in 07. It's just been different, different, different every year. And Paul's telling these people, and I love this phrase, okay, work out your own salvation. And I got to ask you, are you sure that your salvation is really your own? In other words, I know some of you come here with family members. Some of your kids are here with your parents. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you are here because your spouse brought you. And he or she's the religious one. Some of you here because your kids brought you. And they're so into Jesus, you thought you'd check it out yourself. Some of you, maybe you just have a bunch of Christian friends, some Christian neighbors, other people brought you here. But it's such an important thought when Paul says, look, I'm in jail, so you can't live vicariously through my life. Like, well, yeah, I'm a follower of Paul and he does all these wonderful things. He goes, I'm in prison now. And he goes, now you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is this something about you? Do you? In fact, you've got to ask yourself, would I follow Jesus in spite, despite all these other people? What if your whole family and all the people that brought you to Jesus now say, you know what? We don't follow him anymore. I'm not a follower. I don't believe he really died on that cross. I don't believe in this one way he's going to the cross, man. There's a million different ways. What if everyone went that direction? What would you say? 
You and your own heart. What, is it your salvation or are you just following other people here? This is so important. This is, this is so huge because, guys, at the end, okay, there's going to come a point when you stand before God, when you stand before Jesus, and the Bible talks about two responses that he could give. There's a one response where he says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and inherit the riches of the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the time. Come, before the foundations of the earth. I I prepared this. Come, come. Welcome, well done. Or he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. I knew your mom. I knew your mom really well. Your mom was a woman of God. She was an absolute saint. She walked with me. She talked with me. We had an incredible relationship. In fact, I knew your dad too. I knew your grandparents. You're great. You come from this wonderful lineage. I know them. I know your brothers or sisters. I know a lot of people from your church. I know these people, but depart from me because I never knew you. You never had a relationship with me. You yourself, it wasn't your own relationship. It wasn't your own salvation. You just kind of piggybacked on your mom, on your dad, your wife, whoever. And sometimes we find the safety. Oh, but I'm a part of Cornerstone Church, you know, and they do a bunch of radical things. In fact, Francis named all these things that all these people in the church did. Yeah, that's wonderful. But what about you? Your own salvation, your own conviction. You guys, when you read this book, when you're alone, if you're ever alone with God, if that's even your desire, but when you spend time alone with God, it's no one else. I'm not there. It's not church time. It's just you because you so long for God and you have this own salvation before God. When you're with Him and you read this book, do you... By yourself, get convicted when you read this and go, you know what? I never heard this in church. I never see other people doing this, but God's speaking to me. I got to do this. Like I get convicted. See, when I'm alone with the word of God, that's the time I get most convicted. I enjoy sermons. I like reading books, whatever, but I I, give or take it. But it's when I'm alone, like this week, when I'm looking at the word of God and going, man, there's stuff I got to, I got to, I'm not... I'm not letting go of it. I've got to let go of it all. Like, does that happen to you? Where God leads you. That's why I was so excited to hear of these different things. I love to hear of things happening in the church that the, that the church leadership did not instigate. Because it shows me that you're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That you're studying the word of God for yourself and going, you know what? They said this on Sunday and I looked at it is what it says. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. And you come up with your own ideas. Why? Because God's leading you. God's directing you. And and I love this phrase. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't see a lot of fear and trembling in today's church, do you? I I see a lot of arrogance when people talk about God. But fear and trembling is something that's been lost in today's church. And I'm praying God would use me in some way to bring it back. 
Because like scripture says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And even as I read this passage this week, I said, God, you know, I do think I'm working out my own salvation. I think it's my deal, but I also don't see myself working it out with fear and trembling lately. I've lost some reverence, bring it back into my life because I want this. I want to be working out my salvation, not casually, but with fear and trembling. And remember, why, why fear and trembling? Fear and trembling because, because of verse 11, what he said earlier, that he's going to come back and every knee is going to bow. Remember, we looked at that and then we looked at the passage in Isaiah 45 where he says, I swear to you by my own name. And when I say something, it's going to happen. Every knee is going to bow. And you go, okay, that causes a little fear and trembling. That's who I'm talking about here. Fear and trembling, I work out my own salvation. Now, now don't get me wrong on this. I understand that I have a responsibility as your pastor. And at times I haven't taken it seriously enough with that fear and trembling. I understand that I will probably be judged more strictly than anyone in this room. According to James, that's just what I signed up for. You know, that's not real exciting to me. Okay? That's not my favorite verse in the Bible. Um, So I understand I've got a responsibility to you to try to lead you into this right place before God. At the same time, when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to blame me. We're not allowed to play that game before God. Like you can't say, well, Francis never told me that. Okay, I understand. I'll, I'll, I'll be judged before God. Okay? And I'm going to have to deal with that part. But you yourself need to understand that you've got your own relationship with God. And you're not going to be able to blame your parents saying they never told me that. They didn't lead me that way. Because you've got the word of God in your hands. We live in a time that's different from any other time in history where at, the, at your fingertips, you've got every commentary, you've got you know, every sermon, you, you, you've got everything at your disposal. And so you stand before God as, as to what he's given you. And you're accountable for that. And that's why he says, you work this out. You work out your own salvation. I'm working out mine. I'm going to try to figure this thing out. And I'm doing it. I'm not, and I've been maybe too casual at times. And I've confessed that before God. But just understand at the end, you're not going to go, ah, oh, see, it's his fault. Go talk to Francis. He never told me to do that. This God's going to, because, you know, here's the truth. is I believe God's calling some of you to be far more radical than I am. And maybe he's taught you to do more and maybe you've read passages and go man i gotta take that literally i gotta walk in that don't put me up as the standard and say well i'm a little bit below him so that's a pretty good place to be no you work out your own salvation before god and you do so with fear and trembling we do so with fear and trembling because look look what he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling why for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure 
See, now, for, for a lot of you, you'll read that phrase and go, well, that's not a big deal. That's nothing to tremble over, that, that God wants to work through me. Because, again, that's a phrase that we throw out there pretty flippantly. It's like, ooh, that'd be neat if God worked through me. That'd be cool if God could use me. That'd be great if God could use me to serve in the church next year. No, what the Bible says is, no, do you understand this? You should think about this with fear and trembling, thinking that God Almighty would actually use you as his vessel. I mean, think about this. What you're talking about, here's a being who spoke the world into existence. Okay, there was no earth. And he spoke it into existence. There were no stars. He spoke them into existence. There was no life. He spoke it into existence. He, in the, you know, and then, and then he floods the earth. He floods the earth. He's the one that has done so many things throughout history. And then the Bible says that there's a possibility that now he, that God, the one that said earth, and it showed up. Okay? That being almighty God sitting on his throne, angels screaming out his holiness. He actually might want to use this body right here on the stage. That same God from eternity past, the eternal God. Now he's actually going to do something through this body. You got to be kidding me. He's going to come in and inhabit this body. And there's something he wants to do. Like he wants to make my body move. He wants to make my mouth speak. He wants to do something on this planet using this body. You got to be kidding me. After all the stuff that I've done, all the mistakes I've made, all the sin in my life, now he, he's going to choose to use me because he has something he wants to do on this earth. And he, he might actually inhabit my body to do those things. The Bible says, look, you worked out your salvation with fear and trembling because God saved you to do something through you. And you ought to think, oh man, the God of the universe, are you kidding me? There ought to be this sense of awe that he would use me for his purposes, for his both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you understand that God has a desire for your life? That God actually wants to take your human body and do something with it. Just like when he grabbed Moses and said, I'm going to do something through you. I'm going to do something through you. See, because God has a pleasure. God has a plan. God's carrying out his plan on the earth right now. And he's using different human beings to do that. Whether good or for evil. Just like with Pharaoh. God, that was all in God's plan somehow. God's going to use me. That's, That's just the craziest thought. As I'm looking at 2009 and going, God... I don't know what your plans are this next year. I believe they are massive and that there's a sense in which I tremble over the thought of being used in his plan this year. I don't know if you read the news and just go, wow, this is a weird time. This is a crazy time. This could be it. But honestly, I do. I read it and go, you got to be kidding me. Just reading about what happened in Israel this week and going, man, this is nuts. All the things that are unfolding and you think, wow, well, God, you've got a plan and, and it's your desire to use me. That's not something we should take casually. The God of the universe inhabiting your body to use you. But that's something that we take with fear and trembling and we take very seriously. And don't underestimate what God might want to do through you this year. We need to enter into this with some reverence and say, God, what are you going to do through me this year?
and start surrendering and honestly I'd love to stand up here and say wow that thought just got me so excited but I got to be honest and tell you that part of that thought got me very scared in an ungodly way whereas I tried to pray this week and say God I want to surrender everything There's a part of me that got scared because I thought, well, what if you ask me to give up something that I don't want to give up? You see, you guys, a lot of you guys have been around for a while and you've seen the way I've interacted in my relationship with God and the things that have changed over the years. And maybe it's more subtle to you, but I'm feeling it. And and what I know is that early in my ministry, I really doubted. Uh, the Holy Spirit and his power. I, I just did. I was never really taught a whole lot about him. And I saw some of the stuff and the abuses out there. And I just questioned a lot of him. Like, oh, that's just kind of weird. And, and it, to the point where I even just neglected certain passages in scripture. Because I didn't want to be like them, you know. And... And there's also some fear in me. There was like this fear of, well, what if I ask God to have his Holy Spirit move through me in a powerful way? And what if, what if nothing happens? And so you almost want to cover for God and not ask for anything huge. Because he might not answer. And I used to fear that way. But if I have a fear now, it's, it's almost the opposite. It's like, well, what if I ask God to direct me and he does? And it's not really something I want to do. I mean, what if I'm studying the scriptures and he directs me or leads me in a certain way? And I really don't want to go there. And I start just thinking about the different things in my life that I'm afraid to let go of. And it's been a tough week of just surrendering with fear and trembling and saying, no, God, you know what? I want to be like Christ. And yeah, if there's any other way, do it that way. But if this is what needs to be done, then this is what needs to be done. And to come under and surrender with the fear and trembling. Because what if you pray to God and He asks and He does direct you? I don't know how He does that. I just know when He does for me. And what if God directed you and said, you know what, 2009, I want you to wake up a half hour earlier than you were planning on every day of 2009 to be alone with me what if he directed you that way for those who love their your sleep or staying up late at night would you really surrender that with fear and trembling what if god directed you to say you know 2009 no movies i want you more in my word no television i want you in my word those things that are just too sacred for you to give up I started surrendering different things. My recreation, 
What if God told me no surfing, no golfing? I'm not saying he's going to do these things. You just have to say, no, I, I, I could do that. And, and you can't get in your mind, go, well, he would never ask for that. Yeah, it's not like him to ask for everything. <laughs> but just to surrender and to say, well, I mean, honestly, for you, what, what if God saying he wants you to adopt a foster kid this year? Or a couple of them? Or 11 of them like Domingo and Irene? What do you do there? No, he would never. Let's just not go there yet. And just surrender. What if he wants you to leave your job? What if he asks you to move? What if he wants you serving in the inner city? What if he wants you this afternoon to talk to every single person on your block and knock on their doors? I I don't know what God's going to lead you to do. I'm just saying, do you work it out? Your own salvation and don't rely on your husband. Don't rely on your wife. Don't go, well, my husband hasn't led me there. Well, you know what? Maybe God's leading you there. Well, well, but no one from up front. And the pastor's friend says, you never told. You know what? You got to stand before God one day. And so you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I'll deal with my issues. But we all have to come before God and say, okay, what? Do you want of me, Almighty God? I I believe that God has all sorts of plans for Cornerstone Church this year. And I don't even know what they all are. Um, Because usually God doesn't tell you everything in advance. He doesn't tell you the whole story. And And it's His pleasure. It's His will. It wasn't like Abraham woke up one day and said, You know what I want to do? I want to be the father of this whole nation. I want to father two sons. I want Isaac to be this promised child. I want to start the whole Jewish nation. There isn't even such thing as a Jewish nation, but I'm going to start it. And so God, would you bless my efforts? No, that's not what happens. God has a will. God has a plan and says, Abraham, you leave. Just start walking. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. That would drive some of you nuts. Did you know that Abraham at that time didn't have medical insurance or a 401k? (laughs) The nerve of God to say, just pick up and leave. That's crazy. That's the way God works. And I don't know what he's calling us to do this year, but I believe that this is it. And I just want to have peace that I've surrendered. And going, God, this may look dumb to all the other churches in America. I may look like a fool in front of all the other speakers and whatever else. But I got to let go of all of that and just say, God, whatever, whatever, your will. And at times, my pleasure is going to go against yours, but I want you to win. And I want to work this thing out because I'm going to stand before you. And come on, let's, let's, let's face it. I'm, I'm looking at my own life. And going, I cannot believe I am 41 years old. I just can't even believe it. I just go, man, life, I'm just, I'm already looking. I'm on the backside, you know? That's just the way I look at it. And go, this is getting closer and closer. It's inevitable. What's going to happen? And some of you guys go, wait, I'm over 80. So I'm dead already. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I do want you to think, though. I do want some of you to think. Man, this is serious stuff. You're going to stand before God any second. 
And there may have been some things that God has shown you in his word, but you find comfort in the complacency of the church and you go, well, I'm better than them. But you guys, you're not going to be judged against someone else. You're going to stand before God. And it's about your own salvation and what he's led you to do. And my job is just to tell you, don't let anyone hold you back. You work out your own salvation, despite what anyone else tells you. Even they tell you it's ridiculous, it's overboard, it's too much. You know what God has spoken to you through his word. And you pursue that 100%, not casually, but with fear and trembling. And what I'm going to do for you right now is I'm going to give you some time to do that. I'm going to have Nathan come up and just play softly on the keyboard and give you some time alone with God. Because I've prayed for this time right here. I've prayed that God might speak to some of you in this room. Through the preaching of his word, through his Holy Spirit. That maybe he brings to mind certain things in your life that you know he wants you to change and you haven't yet. And I'm just saying let go. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. What is God calling you to do today? I'm not even, don't even look at 09 just yet. I mean, that's days away and who knows if we'll even get there. Today, keep in step with the Spirit of God. What does He want you to do today when you leave church? Work it out. Have God open your eyes to how He's leading you today. Just just bow your heads. And just ask God to bring to mind scripture, thoughts, actions. And maybe you need prayer. There'll be people in the prayer room to pray with you. Maybe your action is to get baptized today. There'll be people up here who will baptize you. But just spend some time right now working out your own salvation with fear and trembling.